So uh, about 50 years ago, my family went on a, a family vacation to Yellowstone, except I didn't get to go. I stayed back at Grandma's house so I could play with my little pink doll set, and everybody else went, except for me and my younger brother. And, um, and then the youngest brother who did go, his name is John, and I have a picture of John that 50 years ago they went to see Yellowstone, and there he is in front of one of the pools there at Yellowstone. So about six months ago he calls me, and um, actually he sent me a link in an email, and the link was to a big house in Big Sky, Montana, and he said, uh, if you organize it, I'll pay for it. And I said, deal. So we uh, did a family reunion. I just got back last week, and about over 30 of us got together and stayed in Big Sky so that we could go do a Yellowstone trip that he doesn't really quite remember. Here's a picture of me and John uh, now um, on the Yellowstone trip. So that's Brother John, and um, what a gift. This was just an incredible gift to our whole family that we were all blessed by. Um, how many of you have been to Yellowstone? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you're missing out. Okay, so I had never been. Living this close, I kind of thought, well, it's probably like, like another Estes Park or something, right? And I went and was just absolutely amazed by what I saw. So much that I changed the topic of the sermon from what I was going to do to this, okay? So um, you may not know some of these facts about Yellowstone, but it was actually proclaimed a national park in 1872 by Ulysses S. Grant. And there's over 3,400 square miles of park, 340 waterfalls, 10,000 thermal features within the park, 500 geysers, which by the way, there's only 900 in the whole world, and more than half, more than all the rest combined, are in Yellowstone. There's 2,000 earthquakes annually in the park which means that like six a day, and we were there for two days, and I didn't feel any, but I didn't find that out till after I got back. Um, there are thousands of wild animals, elk and bison and deer and antelope and black bears and wolves and grizzlies. It's one of the most amazing ecosystems in the, in the United States, if not the world. So I know literally when we left Yellowstone, I said to Bill, I thought, wow, God is even better than I thought. I am so impressed with him. He's just like incredible that he would create all this. So um, I was thinking about, you know, really the ways that God reveals who he is and what he's like. And, you know, he reveals himself in several ways. One is through his written word, which we look at a lot. One is through nature. One is through Jesus Christ, his son that was made in his image. And the last is you that he has also made in his image. So today we're going to spend a lot of time looking at who God is through nature because I was so moved by all this at Yellowstone. And um, for those of you who have been there, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. And those who have not been there, you'll probably start planning your trip. Okay, so um, what, we, what we think about God and how we see him is one of the most important things that we can really camp out on for a while. There's a quote that I love by A.W. Tozer out of this old classic Christian book called Knowledge of the Holy, and it says this. We tend, oh, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. 
like how we see him and what we look at and what we focus on, we tend to become like that. So if we have a distorted view of God, we start having distortion in our souls. And the more we get a clear picture of who God is, the more we, we move towards that image. So I know we live in a fast-paced world, and today I'd like us to just maybe slow down a little bit and see what we can learn about through nature. There's this verse in the book of Job, but Job 12, it says this, but ask the animals and they will teach you, or the birds in the sky and they will tell you, or speak to the earth and it will teach you, or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. So today we're going to kind of ask and seek and look at nature, and I'm going to share some things with you that spoke to me out of Yellowstone, and I'm going to share about five things, but I'm sure there are many, many, many things that if we sat around and just stared at nature, we could come up with all kinds of things. So the first one for me was that it seemed like every time we turned around in Yellowstone, there was something new and interesting to look at. Um, there were these little pull-offs, and you could stop and see something cool, and it was just like, oh, wow, now look at that. Oh, wow, now look at that. And every time I turned around, there was just something beautiful or different. It was so unique. I saw craters and geysers and bubbling mud. That was one of my favorites. The hot springs, colors like I'd never seen before, not to mention the lakes and the waterfalls and the streams and the elks and the bison and the bears. So I'm going to take just a, just a minute, and just without words, I'm just going to show you some of the pictures from our trip, and all I want you to do is just, just gaze. Just take a look, and we're going to spend a few seconds on each picture, and then we'll come back. This last one was one of my favorites. This was the Grand Prismatic Springs, and I could have just stood there and just stared at this all day. It kept drawing me back, like I've only been out a week, and I would just want to go back and keep looking at stuff in the park that I didn't get to see, because I wanted to see more. Before I go on, the Starry Night ones were the ones my camera couldn't quite capture. Those were done by a professional photographer, and his name is Nate Weaver, and I know him from CCU, and so I asked if I could borrow those with permission. And uh, his info is in your bulletin if you're interested in more, because those are fabulous. But I was also struck by the stars at night. Bill and I live in the city. Some of you maybe live out in the country where the lights aren't so bright, but when you stop and look at the stars, and it's like, wow, it's just amazing. At one point in our, one of our days at Yellowstone, Bill was kind of quiet, and he wasn't really saying much, and he was kind of sitting down or not really interacting much. And I said to Bill, I said, are you okay? 
And he just kind of looked and stared off, and he said, just no words. It's just so beautiful. It's just, I have no words. So I found this verse in Psalm 19, and it says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Yet they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. I got it. I got what Bill was trying to say without words. It's just stunning, moving, so unique and so different, so meaningful. And if you really, we really stop to look and just kind of reflect and ponder, what would we, what would we be told? This kind of reminds me of what Jesus is like, that when we really get a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he's like, like there's something so captivating and so beautiful and so different from how our world operates, the way he interacted with people, um, just the, the quality about him, the presence of Christ was so alluring that people just wanted to come back and be around him and see more and experience more. And for me, the biggest one of those was at age 21 when um, I'd made some messes of my life and just really had hit a really low depression in a dark place where I just didn't even want to get out of bed anymore. For that matter, didn't want to live anymore. But it was in some of those darkest moments that through the written word, I got a glimpse of who Jesus was, of his grace and his forgiveness and his love and his mercy in a way like I had never experienced. And from that day forward, it made, has made me want to come back, come back, come back, like go see more. Like there is always more of God to get to know. And when we get those little glimpses, it's just like I have no words. Maybe tears, but I have no words. I have nothing else I can say. There's scripture that says, be still and know that I am God. Just be still. So the second thing that, I, that spoke to me on this trip had to do with traffic jams. So I would bet that not anybody here likes traffic jams, including me. I'm usually in a hurry to get somewhere, and it, oh, they always seem to come when I have something the most important to get to, and it's so frustrating, I want to pull my hair out. <laughs> um, but there was something I started to learn that was a little different through Yellowstone. I heard about the traffic jams at Yellowstone, I read about them, um, but I started to learn that what a traffic jam meant in Yellowstone. Do you guys know? It meant there's something to see ahead. <laughs> it meant everybody has slowed down and stopped to look at something that they spied off in the woods or something. And so I started to learn that this was an exciting thing. A traffic jam was an exciting thing. <laughs> Here's a picture of, of uh, one guy who's walking down the street <laughs> that we um, have managed to get in front of. And he's like leading a parade of cars, just minding his own business, walking down the middle of the street. <laughs> And uh, it's a little dark, but that's a big bison there. And um, so, so we learned like, oh wow, every time there's a traffic jam, there's something exciting. 
My sister, my oldest sister is from Australia and she's lived there ever since she's 21. And she did come over for this family reunion and she had a whole checklist in her head about all the things she wanted to see. And one of those on her checklist was a grizzly. But by the end of those two days, we saw no bears at all. So we were leaving the west gate and had left the park. We're driving on Highway 191 going towards Big Sky and about 20 miles up, there's a traffic jam. And I was like, I wonder what's ahead. <laughs> There's something, could just be another bison. By then we'd seen about 15 of those. And, um, but uh, as we get closer, I roll down my window and I yell out to one of the guys out there. I said, hey, what are you looking at? And he said, a grizzly. <laughs> and so we pulled over real fast, jumped out of our car. And there was people along the side of the road with their cameras and this and that. And uh, we did see it. I have a picture. It's not the best picture, but you can tell it is a grizzly. Can you see him between the branches there? You can tell by his ears. We were maybe, I don't know, maybe 100, 150 yards away. Um, it's in between the branches, kind of left of center if you can't see it. But we did see it, and she was very excited. But it made me think about how, um, you know, life is full of traffic jams. Life is full of things that just slow us down, and we've got a plan. This is how the plan's going to go, this is the timing of that plan, and we start going towards that goal, and all of a sudden, some big bison's in the middle of the road. Something doesn't work out, something's not coming through, you're not getting the job, you're not getting pregnant, you're not finding your mate, you know, something is slowing us down from something we really like. And what spoke to me is maybe God's slowing us down to have a look. Maybe there's something he wants us to see. Maybe there's something he wants to speak to us about. And just slow down and stop and look. So the third thing that spoke to me about Yellowstone, um, I've already talked a bunch about the beauty. And what also struck me about Yellowstone is the danger. So I had done a little reading before I went and read about the bears and, you know, got a little concerned and this and that. And, you know, my brothers are the type that just kind of hike out into the middle of nowhere with no trail and just to start hiking somewhere. And I was getting panicked at the thought that they didn't have any bear spray. I had read about bear spray. I watched videos how to do the bear spray. And so I drove down to the little town in Big Sky, spent the $50 for the bear spray, and came back up with the bear spray to give to my brothers so that I could feel a little bit better. Um, as a therapist, I work a lot with trauma. So I've seen many people who never expected something bad to happen to um, you know, everything from shootings to car accidents to rape to tragic deaths to just all kinds of things that I work with people on a regular basis. And so I'm the type to kind of like, oh, I, I just want to do what I can to take care of whatever I can. So um, meanwhile, while they were out hiking, some others of us hiked to Usul Falls in Big Sky, which was a nice touristy trail and all that. And, you know, it was daytime, but Brandy, my nephew's wife, had bought the bug, brought the bug spray, and everybody was, like, spraying to make sure you don't get eaten up with mosquitoes. And I said, no, that's all right, I'll skip it, because I can't stand the smell of it. It just smells terrible to me. So I skipped the bug, the bug spray, but I did have to get the bear spray. Uh, so when I got home, I uh, looked up a few things about deaths 
in the Yellowstone. I was just curious, like, how many people really have been killed by bears? I was probably trying to justify the need for the bear spray that I spent so much money on. Um, so I found, since 1872, 300 people have died in Yellowstone aside from car accidents, meaning in other ways, other than car accidents. And out of those 300 in the last 150 years, there have been eight by bears. The others have died from drownings, burned to death, scalded in the hot springs, um, the pools, the geysers, hit by boulders, even struck by lightning or killed by avalanches. So, I also had looked up the top 25 animals that kill humans. And guess where bears fell? 21. They were in there, but they were 21. But guess what was number one? Mosquitoes! And I skipped the bug spray. <laughs> but what spoke to me is just how much energy we put into trying to minimize the danger. <laughs> and in the end, we can't always control it. We see this here in Colorado, but we saw it there too. Not as bad as Colorado, but you look at the beautiful pine trees, and then you see all these dead ones that are in there, and those little beetle bugs that somehow managed to take down a great big tree. And I looked that up. Beetle bugs are like the size of a grain of rice. And they managed to take down these, like a whole grove of trees at times. So I just kept thinking about this theme of kind of beauty and danger and how they kind of seem to be in the same place. Like right alongside of beauty is this danger and right alongside of life is death. So I was thinking back to the Garden of Eden, probably the most beautiful garden ever because it was before the fall. The most harmonious existence of man and animals and nature all harmoniously living together. And apparently, the animals were vegetarians. Did you know that? They, they didn't eat each other. They didn't eat humans, and humans didn't eat them. They all just kind of got along. So if you're a vegetarian, you're closer to the kingdom of God than any of us. Um, so, but in the Garden of Eden, there, God had one dangerous thing in there. This tree that he said, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Like, why would God do that? Why make this beautiful garden and then have one big don't? Like, if you eat of this tree, it could take down the whole human race. Why? And then I go back to Yellowstone. I'm thinking of Yellowstone and how immediately you go in the park and you start to see the don't signs. Here's a couple of them. Boiling water. Stay on the trails. They really mean it. I read stories about someone whose dog ran off the boardwalk, was getting burned, and somebody jumped in to save it, and they both scalded to death in minutes. Horrible, horrible. So here's another sign. Bears, you know, don't feed the bears. But there were a number of don't signs in the park. Here's this beauty, and then don't go off the boardwalk, don't feed the bears, don't go close to animals, don't touch the hot mineral water, or you'll get burned. And I started thinking about how this is really kind of true everywhere. Everywhere there's beauty. The stars are beautiful, but if you stay out too long in front of one star called the sun, you'll get burned. Plants are awesome, they give us food, but if you touch poison ivy, you'll get a rash. 
dogs are supposed to be man's best friend, but did you know dogs were number five on that animals that kill humans list? <laughs> From rabies and other things. So, you could have a marriage that's wonderful. Mar marriage is wonderful, but there's a don't of don't cheat on your spouse. Sex, enjoy sex, but don't go around having it with everybody. It's meant to be in a committed relationship. So it strikes me that one small violation could give you a burn, give you a rash, make you sick, destroy your marriage, lead to an addiction. Drink, don't get drunk. Take you down altogether and make you die. Even if, we, even if there hasn't been a direct violation, there's a lot of things that are devastating in life. And I know many of you in here, including me, have experienced different kinds of just devastating things that have just probably flattened you. So I think about this question of why, you know, why the beauty and the danger? Here's my number one reason of why. I don't know. But after I sit and ponder it and think about it, of, you, know, I, you know, I keep thinking, couldn't we just have stayed in that harmonious place the whole time and not have to go through all this? Um, but it does make me think that the don'ts are truly out of love, not out of control. That both beauty and danger tend to make us stick together. When we see something beautiful, everybody kind of goes over there together to see it. When we go through something difficult or devastating and danger, it tends to draw people together. And maybe that's part of what he wants. It tends to bring a sense of humility to me, like I'm not in control and God is in control and I can't really stop all the bad things from ever happening. When I saw that boiling mud, that picture of boiling mud was the one that looked like this. And it's a little drier in the front, but often the distance there you can't tell. But literally it's girdling, you know, mud boiling up. It's the weirdest, strangest thing. Um, the earlier explorers found this and said, that's like the greatest marvel we've ever seen. It was just odd. But I thought, you know, I feel like in my life, sometimes I'm stepping right into the boiling mud, and before you know it, I'm knee-deep and I can't get out. And this verse comes to my mind, and it's Psalm 40, verse 2. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. The beauty and the danger combination, it tends to grow compassion of wanting to reach out to others who are stuck, others who are suffering. It tends to make us prioritize what's really important and what really matters in life and how we spend our time. There's something about the, the devastating things that tend to cut away at our false sense of self, the, the ones that we've tried to create ourselves in to make ourselves look good or you know, be acceptable or perform well. It tends to cut away at all the pretense. And in losing our false self, it brings a greater joy in finding our true self. I've found that the deepening of sorrow also expands our capacity for joy. All of creation started out in harmony. And after the fall, conflict after conflict after conflict after conflict, whether it be between two people or a big war, that seems to be the pattern. Well, I have found 
you know, whether it's a small scale or a big scale, like when Bill and I have a conflict, like we did yesterday, um, when we were able to work through it and, you know, talk it out and this and that, I actually feel greater trust and more love after the conflict than I did before. And there's actually a greater trust than for those who never have conflicts. So there's something about a deepening of trust that comes when you go through danger or through difficulty and you come back on the other side. In Isaiah, there's a prophecy about a new earth and he talks about where the lion and the lamb will lie down again together and the wolves and little children will lead them. Like he gives this picture of here's the Garden of Eden, we go through all this crap and then we come back eventually to some kind of peace and harmony again that'll probably be the biggest celebration ever, all the more because we've been in the darkness. You know, scientists say that Yellowstone is a great big supervolcano. And they say it's exploded three times as far as they can tell, um, going back to like one and a half million years ago. But about every 600 to 700,000 years, it erupt has erupted. And some think it's getting close to being due, or in the next 10,000 years. We, we may all be gone, but <laughs> you know, nobody really knows about all that. But here's what, here's what this said to me. It said at one point in time, when this thing erupted, that spot was the ugliest on the planet. Everything was devastated. Everything was destroyed. Everything was bleak. And 600,000 years later, it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. If you're a new earth person, just knock off a couple zeros, but the point is still there, right? Um, that out of the devastation sometimes comes some of the most beautiful things you could ever imagine. It also says to me that God and us, as he lives in us, is indestructible, absolutely indestructible, no matter how devastated you may feel. So the fourth thing is um, one of the falls we were looking at, standing there, I'm watching this huge stream of water come down, river of water come down, and I'm sitting there looking at, where did all that water come from? And where's all that water going? So I'm going to take just a quick second to show you one of the waterfalls I was standing in front of. I want you to think about those questions. So here's what I started thinking about. I wonder, what if I could follow one cup of water and just see where all it goes? Like if I'm watching it come down the stream and over the waterfall and into the river, like where's it going? And I started, I literally looked this one up too, so I said, okay, it's going into the Yellowstone River. And after that, the Yellowstone River goes into the Missouri's, Missouri River. It heads north and then east, heads into the Missouri River, and the Missouri River then eventually flows into the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River then flows into the Gulf of Mexico, and the Gulf of Mexico just blends into the Atlantic Ocean for a while, and then eventually evaporation starts to happen, and it all goes up into the sky, and it starts to form clouds, and then it rains or snows, and it comes back down into the river, and then it goes back around, and it keeps going. <laughs> I'm like, wow, it's like it almost doesn't even have a beginning or an end. It's just all connected, and it keeps... It's the same thing, but it keeps taking different shapes and different forms, and it keeps moving all around. If you were to ask that cup of water, you know, what are you? 
At one point it might say, I'm a cloud. It might say, I'm a river. It might say, I'm water. It might say, I'm Yellowstone River. It might say, I'm Missouri River, I'm Mississippi River, I'm the Gulf of Mexico, or I'm an ocean. But it's like, it's the same thing, and yet its identity just keeps changing. It's like one form gives life to another form, but it just lost that form as it keeps going around the circle. Like it died to the waterfall and became a stream, and the stream became the river, and the river became a gulf, and the gulf became an ocean, and it kept going around. Well, this made me think about how Jesus calls himself the living water. He's the living water that flows through every one of us, never ending, yet continually changing. He is the beginning and the end. You can't quite tell what's the beginning and what's the end. Jesus was there before the creation of the world. He came into a human form as a baby, lived on this earth for a while, died on the cross, was buried, ascends into heaven, and one day he's coming back. And we'll be no different. Like the, that river to me was like, that's the gospel. That's the gospel right there in, in the water. Amazing. It's like this secret, mysterious story that's being told in nature, and it's, it's really everywhere. So finally, the fifth thing, can't leave out Old Faithful, right? So Old Faithful is that place that everybody hears about at Yellowstone, that everybody wants to go see. And there were crowds there, and back in that first picture of my brother John, there they were apparently not much there, no visitor center, now there's a huge visitor center, lots of people that go to see this. It comes about every 91 minutes or so, give or take. It lasts about 30 seconds and then it's done. But it's regular. It comes and it's there and it's there and it's there. And people can count on it, at least so far. Um, but it reminds me of God's faithfulness. Like these are just these spurts of grace, spurts of love, spurts of, of just like um, something that just automatically brings you joy. I don't know how you can look at this without going, oh, there it is. You know, it's like, here it comes again. Um, but it was just like this faithfulness about him. Hebrews 13.8 um, says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And it also says in 2 Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Even if you got bored with Old Faithful and you didn't go see that thing, it's still going to show up whether you're there or not. It's going to stay faithful. Um, A.W. Tozier has another quote that I liked in here. It says, we're all human beings suddenly to become blind. Still, the sun would shine by day and the stars by night, for these owe nothing to the millions who benefit from their light. So were every man on earth to become an atheist? It could not affect God in any way. He is what he is in himself without regard to any other. To believe in him adds nothing to his perfections, and to doubt him takes nothing away. He just is what he is. He's the same, never changing. And, so Old Faithful is really faithful, right? But there's all those 499 other geysers out there who are not so faithful. They pop up wherever, wherever they feel like it, whenever they feel like it, and you can't really predict it. And I thought, well, that's also God. <laughs> 
He is faithful and you never know where he's going to show up. And isn't the combination of both rather cool? In John 3.8 it says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Because the Spirit moves and shows up in a variety of different ways. So those are the things that Yellowstone has taught me this time around. And my invitation is to slow down and just gaze. And as we go to communion today, you know, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, take eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and he poured it, and he said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Now I'm imagining the disciples sitting there looking at this going, huh? And maybe, maybe Jesus said, do this often in the remembrance of me because he wanted us to keep gazing at it, just keep looking, keep seeing, keep understanding what is the meaning of this. Well, it speaks of the cross, of the life of Jesus that's been laid down to give us life. When you, when you look at the cross and just gaze at the cross, it's one of the most beautiful demonstrations of love ever, right? And it's one of the most dangerous things you could possibly encounter. As we come to the table and experience the beauty and the dangerousness, the danger that kind of will cut away at our old self, cut away at our pride, our selfishness, our our desire to want to control everything and to, to try to be God when we're not and to, um, like he wants to like kill all that off. But out of that emerge one of the most beautiful versions of you you've ever seen and it's what Christ looks like as he shines through you. So come to the table and just gaze, just take it in and let him speak to you. How great thou art, how great thou art. In closing, I'd like to read one last verse for you, and it's out of Proverbs. And it says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. God in nature both conceals himself in mystery and he also reveals himself at the very same time if we'll just stop and look and listen and see the story that he's inviting us to slow down and to be captivated by what we see to join in the larger story of the bigger gospel of life to death and back to greater even greater life than ever before that he's inviting us to see our connection with all people everywhere and that his spirit really is everywhere moving and that while God is mysterious and unpredictable he is also old faithful. Amen.